I feel like we should just get rid of the first two rows of chairs. <laughs> and you'd suddenly feel that you were in the front row. Okay. All right, let's pray before we begin. Father, I thank you for a chance to talk about your word together, to talk about our relationship to you and talk about what we are like and how much we need you. I pray that you would um, help the, uh, the lesson this morning to be clear and help the conversation to be good and that you would um, show us all more uh, how wonderful it is that we have been saved. Amen. So I feel like this, uh, so in the first slide says, uh, Selflessness, day one of six. I feel like it should say, or I feel like one might see it as if it said like, root canal, day one of six, right? Because this, this may be like a topic that is difficult to think through. Um, so at least there's only six days of it, right? <laughs> I want to start by having us think about two words. So what, what comes to mind when you see the word biker? Motorcycle gang, okay. Bicycle on a country road. Bicycle on a country road, okay. Yeah. Uh, I googled this word and clicked images, and I got pictures like this, which which fits what Rosemary just said, and I got pictures like this, and like this, and these all fit totally fine in our brains with the word biker, despite the fact that there aren't actually any bikes in the pictures. Right? And yet, if I showed you these pictures and it didn't have the word there, and I said, What's, what are these people? You'd say bikers. Right? You would not have needed a bicycle, actually, to know what I'm talking about. So the, the point of that is to say that, sure, biker means one who bikes, but there's a lot more to it than that, right? It comes with a culture. It comes with a state of being, maybe an attitude, right? certain expectations of what you're like. Um, okay. Um, all right, here's the second word I want to talk about. I did not Google this and put images in the slides for this one. Actually, I did Google it, but the images were not helpful. It was all like, so, okay, so for the purpose of the recording, the word is lover. And uh, it's just people standing on the beach holding hands in like flowy outfits and the sun setting between their held hands is what's going on. Um, but that, that actually seemed more like romance to me than this word. So, all right, when this word comes to mind, all right, I won't ask you what you think of it. I'll, I'll tell you what comes to my mind. You could imagine that, so, all right, of course, it means one who loves, right? But it has a lot more connotations than that. Um, you could imagine if I were talking to somebody at work and I just used the phrase my lover in the sentence that I would love to see what the, the expression on their face would be, right? I haven't tried this experiment, but I can imagine they would feel pretty awkward that I had said that and they would be thinking, what does he mean? Does he mean his wife? That's a weird way to talk about your wife. Or is he telling me something, he's confessing something to me? Like you could imagine people would take way more out of the word than just one who loves, right? It comes with a lot of connotations besides just one who loves. Okay, so I wanted us to talk about those words um, because they have a lot in common with this word. Sinner. So it means one who sins, but there's a lot more to it than that. Right? Um, so the Bible uses this word a lot. And uh, sure, it means, you know, someone who commits specific sins, right? That's like the literal meaning of the word. Um, and having specific sins is a way that we can see that we are sinners. So we f it fits, you know, the word makes sense in that sense. Um, but the Bible also says there's a time when children are not old enough yet to do anything good or bad. And yet we know that we're born as sinners. So there's more to being a sinner than just having done specific things, good or bad. It's sort of like being a biker, where there's like a category that you're in. Like this is the kind of thing that you are, regardless of whether you're biking at that moment. Right? Um, so 
I wanted to make sure we started this class off on the most depressing note possible, so I brought this up. No. So um, I, I brought this up because I want to talk about a specific aspect of being a sinner in this way, that is being categorically the kind of creatures that have a problem with sin. So the specific aspect of that that I wanted to talk about is, all right, so you know we have, um, we have the prayer of confession in our service all the time. And, um, and I, I hope that we're all also sometimes praying and doing confession on our own, not necessarily in church. Uh, so have you ever had a time when you were praying or meditating before God, or maybe even just talking to somebody else or in the prayer of confession over there, ever had a time when you realized that your sins, that there was a pattern to the way you do things wrong and that you actually, God showed you some underlying like character trait that led to a lot of the sins that you have. Have you ever had this happen? All right, I guess I'll at least one person nod. That makes me feel better. That I'm not the only person to whom this has happened. Um, so, I mean, I think this is hard for us to do. It's something we don't want to do, but it is one of the things that the Spirit helps us do when we are thinking about our sins, to look, to see that our need for Jesus goes beyond surface sins and goes into patterns and deep orientations in our heart that lead to all the things that happen outside. And I think there's a lot, there are a lot of sort of sin forces in there that are the roots of our specific sins. Um, and I'll give you an example. Um, I know that one of my yeah, consistent problems that leads to a lot of things I do wrong is caring too much what people think of me. And I say it that way, I mean, I guess you could just call that pride, but for me, it's very, it, it feels very specific, like I'm paying attention to what people think, you know? And, um, and that, that, I remember the first time, I don't remember exactly when it was, but I remember the first time I noticed that this is something that's wrong with me. And it was, at the same time, I was really glad that I had noticed this because then I knew myself better. But at the same time, I was also really saddened because I realized how pervasive a problem that was and how like, how am I going to get rid of this? This is how I think all the time. How do you stop a habit you've had for like 20 years until you noticed it, you know? Um, so pride in various manifestations is certainly one of these things I think can be a deep force that's operating and that we don't even see all the times it's operating. Um, and in fact, it can even be operating at times when you're not sinning on the surface, right? Like, so for example, when I was getting ready to do a class today, I didn't want to look stupid. So I prepared, right? That's a good thing, right? Or if I go to a conference, I like rehearse my talk a bunch of times and then you give a good talk because you practiced. But yet the motivation might've been certainly a, a, maybe an embarrassing percentage of the motivation was actually to not look bad, right? So you can be reinforcing problems in your heart while you're behaving well. Is that, this is a really exciting start to the Sunday morning, right? Um, so at times when we don't seem to be sinning, sinful forces can still be at play. In fact, they can even be obeyed, reinforced, and honored while we're doing what seems good. Um, so it's a lot easier to prune surface sins than to remove these deep roots. So that's what I always think of when I see this verse. Who can discern his errors, declare me innocent from hidden faults. I normally don't read slides, but this is being recorded, so I'm gonna be reading things that are. Um, when I think of the hidden faults, I think of these things that are sort of below the surface, that with things that other people can't always observe unless they know you really well and are with you for a long time. So another one of these motivations, or another one of these like um, patterns uh, that's underneath the surface sins, I think fear is another example that can lead us to do a lot of, uh, a lot of things and that's a difficult route to bring out or to take out. Um, and then the one that's relevant for this class, I think selfishness or perhaps 
more broadly, self-orientation uh, is another one of these roots that's way deep inside and that I have no idea how well, you would begin getting rid of it on your own. Uh, and it leads to a lot of the things we do. Uh, and so that's, kind of, that's, the, that's where we're going with, like that's why I chose this topic for these six weeks. Um, I think that you know, this selfishness or self-orientation is one of those things that you, you simply can't make progress on without the work of the spirit. And you know, I think it's something that's worth reflecting a lot on to know ourselves better. Uh, and of course, that's gonna be humbling and it might be mournful, but I think it also makes us take a lot more joy in being saved, to know that we're saved even from things that are this powerful. Um, so that's the motivation of where we're going with this class. You want to ask anything or make any comments now that you know what our purpose is? Any thoughts you want to add to that? I tell my students at work the only reason I ask the class questions is so that I can enjoy my beverage. Although at, at work, I sometimes take like a muffin or something to class also, so there's more reason to ask them questions. All right, well, I will later expect participation, but it doesn't have to start now. Okay. So, all right, so that's the motivation, but what's the class going to be about? What are we actually going to talk about for the next six weeks? Um, <clears throat> I was not in the service last week, so I don't know how Nate advertised this class when he was talking about it, but um, if I were in his shoes, I would have been <laughs> tempted to say something like, you know, next week Nathan Carter will be teaching on selflessness, which if you know him, that should be pretty entertaining. You know, it feels like, you know, okay, it, it feels really audacious to say, okay, I'm going to teach a class on selflessness. Um, Rick you joked about some, he had one of his mentors always said he was going to write a book on humility and how I achieved it. And I feel like that's, it feels a little bit like that's what the, feels like when you title a class selflessness. So I want to be clear and say that um, I'm, I brought this up because I was thinking recently about how much trouble I have with this. And I was like, we need to, they need to think about this together. I can't be the only person who is suffering under this. So that's the motivation for this. Um, in fact, the bulletin blurb said, um, what makes a journey towards selflessness difficult? That was one of the things in the summary of this class. Uh, I made sure to say towards, not a journey to selflessness, because the only way you get there, of course, is when God removes all our sins in the next life. Um, but hopefully part of our sanctification is moving towards selflessness. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm not like, you know, saying I'm far along in this journey and looking back at everybody else and going, come on, come further. Just make the slides. So you could imagine that I might have, if I'm talking all about sin this morning, you think, okay, is it, are we talking about selflessness or are we talking about selfishness? Which one of these things are we going to focus on? And you kind of can't really focus on one without focusing on the other, but you can't title a class selfishness or people are not going to feel motivated to attend. So I titled it the positive one, but we're going to talk about both, of course. And in fact, we're going to talk about a lot of things. Here's a lot of words that I think are connected to, or phrases that I think are connected to our self-orientation. Um, and I think all of these things are probably going to come up at different times. I think we have problems with self-love. We have problems with self-trust. Um, we're in, we inherently are oriented towards self-preservation. Um, so a lot of these things are concepts that we're going to be, that are going to come up in our discussion. So everything that's about our self-orientation will certainly show up. Um, so it's not like narrowly defined selflessness. It's like everything about our, um, yeah, the way we think of ourselves and deal with ourselves. Um, I, I chose this topic. So if I wanted to, th if I wanted to think about, you know, one of these deeply rooted sin topics that I brought up earlier, like pride and fear and self-orientation, and probably other ones that you could think of that I didn't think of. Um, the reason I picked this one was because it was something that, um, well, I, actually, I guess in conversations between my wife and I, it's something that I realized that I've been struggling with lately, and so I wanted to think it through. Um, that's one of the things that spouses are good for, is helping you think through the things that you don't always necessarily want to think through about yourself. Um, okay. So I want to talk about 
you have to bear with me while I talk about math and computer science for five minutes. It's just five minutes. And I know some of you are like, yes. But if you're not thinking, yes, just five minutes. That's all I need. So uh, I didn't hit the button. Does anybody know what that picture is? This is a very popular topic these days. What was that? Yes, yes. That is, this is a diagram of a very small neural network, which is a topic in artificial intelligence. It's very hot today. Um, and in reality, when people use neural networks in practice, they're enormous. They're not like, what is this, 12 dots with a bunch of connections. There's like millions and millions of dots with lots of connections. But they look like this. And the idea of what's going on here, and this does actually have something to do with human beings. I'll get back to it in a second. Um, the idea, I didn't just like totally switch. So the idea is that there's some, you want, uh, you implement a neural net, and they're called that because they're supposed to be modeled after actual human and animal brains. That's why they call them that. Uh, you implement this in a computer, and then you have it, you want it to do something for you. Like maybe the, uh, the most famous example is you want it to be able to look at images and tell the difference between a cat and a dog. This is a picture of a cat or a picture of a dog, right? That's like the first interesting application of this that people always mention when they're talking about it. So you hand it as input, and that's on the yellow side, you hand it pictures of cats. And you say, is it a cat? And of course, it doesn't know anything when you first start out. It's like a blank slate. And so it has no idea. It goes, uh, cat? And then you tell it if it was right or not. And it learns a little bit from that, and it like updates the, the internal state of the thing. And you hand it another picture of a cat, and you say, that's a cat too. And you hand it a dog, and you go, that was a dog. And it keeps guessing, and it gets a little better every time. And after you've handed it like 200,000 pictures of cats and dogs, it's learned a lot. And later, you can hand it pictures of cats and dogs. Like 97% of the time, it gets it right. So the reason that I bring this up, oh, you can do pretty amazing things with this, by the way. So. The, this technology is getting impressive. One of the things you can do with it, you can hand it, you can take a color photo, turn it into black and white, hand it to a neural network that you're training and say, how would you make it colored? And then it would guess and you go, nope, it was like this. And you show it the color version. And you just do it again and again and again for millions of images until it's learned how to make pictures colorful. And this is what they do. So if you hand it the black and white pictures in the top, it colorizes them correctly now. Right? This is computer done colorization. So it's pretty impressive things that actually are, you would think, I thought only humans could do that. Right? So they're doing very clever things with this now. Uh, it can identify uh, concepts in images. So here's a picture and all the stuff that the computer found in the picture. Red shirt on a man, trunk of an elephant, the ball is white, the ground is visible, all this stuff. I think you can figure out some pretty clever stuff. All right. So why did I bring that up? Why did I show you this picture? Was that five minutes? I, I said it was only going to be five minutes of math and computer science. Um, so recall that the way that this works. So people set out to make a model of a human brain. And it's much, they're much less sophisticated than a human brain. But they, people claim that that's due to the limits of the technology at this point. They keep getting bigger and bigger, and they want it to get you know, more and more like a human brain. But when they set out to make something that works like a human brain, OK, so they made a big network that's like neurons, right? or so they say. And then they said, let's just keep giving it input and give it positive and negative feedback until we shape it into what we want it, until it does what we want. Right, if you just keep giving it positive and negative feedback, it, it turns into what you're directing it to become. Right? That feels to me, that feels like a little frighteningly accurate about what I'm like. Right? I feel that a lot of the time, I am something that just keeps seeking good feedback, whether that be from people, because I want to hear what people say about me, or from my own feelings, because I want to feel like, oh, I achieved something, or whatever, or from just like, I like ice cream, let's have more, right? That is, so this is a really sort of ridiculously oversimplified view of what, you know, obviously we are not just animals, and we are not just material that like does stuff like this, but I feel like way too often I am like that. And I feel like um, a large percentage of the time when I look at 
why am I doing the things I'm doing? They really are very simple seeking of pleasure and avoiding of discomfort motives. And so this gets back to my self-orientation, right? I, I like these things. I don't like those things. I'm going to go towards the things I like. And, you know, that doesn't even feel like, it almost feels like that's not a moral category, right? It's just like, well, of course, if you, like, you can have ice cream for dessert. What's the matter with that? Or like, well, yeah, everybody wants to avoid pain, right? But I bring it up because all the time I am, you know, reinforcing patterns of thought and behavior that seek comfort and avoid discomfort. So I, I wrote down when I was thinking about this Sunday school lesson one day, like a month ago when I was thinking way ahead, right? I actually thought way ahead about this, believe it or not. Um, I sat down to work on this one morning and it was kind of ironic. I sat down to work on the class on selflessness and I noticed all of the things I had just done to make myself happy before I sat down to do this. So, so I immediately went, I was kind of struck by how ironic it was and so I wrote them down and I'm, I haven't edited it since then. I'm just gonna read you what I wrote a month ago, okay? So this is what I said. This is embarrassing, but I'm just, I'm, I'm just gonna read it. <clears throat> As I write this, I'm in pajama pants because spring break has just started for Bentley and I don't wanna get dressed. I'm just starting my work day now at 9.30, but obviously I'm not working yet, just writing something I was thinking about. I just verified that the thermostat was high enough to see me through the day, brewed some coffee, and was delighted to find half and half to put in it. Although I had to do a dog walk in the rain, I changed into dry clothes and put my pajama pants back on after it to be cozier. My comfort-making capacities are fully functional this morning. I know how to seek pleasure in just about any given environment. That was like when I went to sit down and think about selflessness, first I did all those things. Um, it just makes me realize how much of the things I do are self-oriented before I even begin noticing, right? So all this was just to say how deep this problem is in me. I mean, I know I had said that before, but I hadn't quite emphasized it enough. Um, what are your reactions to that? Does this feel like I'm making too much of it? Or does it feel like how you are too? Or what, what do you think? I think that's normal. Mm. In a good way or a bad way? Yeah? All right, so like the, that I shouldn't, I'm not to be blamed for the jammy pants. <laughs> I guess I'm curious about it at the conclusion of the class we're going Yeah, I don't, I, I, I think I brought it up not to say that it's wrong to do that, but I guess just to say that like all the time I'm doing for myself the things that I like, right? And that that like, that gets me in a habit that then when it comes time to make a moral decision, I am fully on the track of doing the things I like, and that makes doing the right thing in the moment of the moral decision harder, right? That like I am always making myself comfortable. Okay, now there's a moral decision that's gonna lead me to discomfort. Am I even ready for that? You know, I guess that, that's what I'm saying is that like this, you know, like when I was saying that I might make decisions about preparing to give a talk at a conference and do well at it, out of a motivation of caring what people think of me so I can like do good behaviors for a long time and therefore sort of stoke and build up the root of pride and then later that root of pride is a problem when it comes to a moral decision. Um, I think I'm saying the same thing here about self-orientation. So yeah, I guess maybe that wasn't clear, but thanks for, does that make sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking about my nana has really bad arthritis, so is in pain a lot. You know, so right now I can seek my own comfort and I do 
there are times in our life or, or diseases or relationships that we're going to be uncomfortable in. Kind of mm-hmm. like imagine, mm-hmm. are we ready for those? Uh, and what now could help us start being shaped by people who are ready for those? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. right now, all I'm doing is seeking my own comfort. Uh, and then I'm faced with something like that. Am I going to still love people when I'm chronically in pain? Yeah. Yeah, the the Puritans used to say that a slow death was a blessing so that you could like get yourself in order. And uh, and oh, what was the other thing that just made me think of? Oh, I lost it. That's I, I hate that aspect, right? I you, I'm talking to someone and I go, Oh yeah, that's that's interesting. It makes me think of something and then I keep listening and then it just falls off and I can't I don't have it anymore. Um, but at least it fall off because I was still listening, right? Yeah. Yeah, but, any other comments about that? Yeah. Okay. All right. So, despite the fact that this view of humans is really overly simple, obviously we are more than just the matter that makes us up. Um, it is something that I think that we are ready to functionally believe when we deal with other people, um, especially when you have oversight of other people. Um, so for instance, when we did a class on parenting a year or two ago, we, we looked at the book Shepherding a Child's Heart. And one of the things in that book is it talks about um, behavior modification parenting, how like you're saying, okay, I want my child to do this. So when they don't do it, I will discipline them. And then when they do them, do that, I will praise them. And we will make sure that they then learn to pick up their toys or not hit their sister or whatever. Right? And uh, certainly there's, you know, some place for incentives, um, but, um, you know, rewards and punishments can just take the, um, you know, pleasure-seeking uh, nature of all of us and just shape that in a child to seek pleasure in a different way. Seek pleasure by avoiding spankings and getting praise from mom and dad. And so that while the child's external behavior gets better, the deep internal root of seeking pleasure is strengthened by that kind of parenting. Um, so the, when we looked at that book, it talked about you know, making sure that you're always trying to get children who are old enough to do so to look into their heart and to repent of the things inside that, caught, that led to the behavior and to, you know, to ask God for help changing the inside. Um, and yet that type of parenting is super tempting, right? Like I am ready to treat my child like a neural network. That is, that is how I, that is the most convenient and easiest way to parent, is to treat them like I just need to shape their behavior. Um, and you know, when you think about the way we talk about management practices or economic policies, we use words like incentivize, right? Which just think about people in this way, right? So, the, so that is a very um, powerful and common way to think about people, even though it's a little bit more of, uh, even though it's obviously a reduction of what people actually are. Um, so even though thinking of a human as a comfort and pleasure-seeking machine is not the whole truth, it, is, um, it makes sense to us. We do think that way a lot, even though it's not totally right. Um, okay, <laughs> so now I'm gonna show you a quote of something one of my kids said to me recently. And they did not know when they said this that, they were, that I was preparing to teach class on selflessness. Um, and uh, this, I won't tell you which child it is. They were already upset that I was going to show you this in the first place. Um, I'll just put it up here, and then I will read this to you. This is as best I could remember. I wrote it down as fast after the kid said it as I could, so it's maybe not verbatim, but it's close. Dad, every once in a while I have this weird thought. I realize that I'm a real person with a real life, and I won't always be a kid. And other people are not, like non-player characters. They're real people with real brains. And that's a weird thought for me. Now, if you have not played enough video games, you don't know what a non-player character is. They're like the robot-controlled things in the game. So like if you're like Mario going along and you meet like somebody that has a little speech bubble that tells you, go save the princess or whatever, that is the computer controlling that thing. It's not a player. So that's a non-player character, right? So this child was saying like, every once in a while I have to realize that other people are actually, they're not just like non-player characters. They're, they're, they're like me, they're people. Um, <laughs> and that's a weird thought for me. All right. Now, you know that all my children are at least 10 years old. Now you do, now that I've said that. So 
uh, and I, you can actually like maybe get to at least 10 without realizing fully that other people are people. That sh I hope that was surprising. It was surprising to me and yet not really so surprising. Um, there's actually a name for this philosophy. You can believe this. So uh, solipsism is the theory that really the self is the only thing that we really know for sure exists and that other people may actually be just dreams or figments of our imagination. We don't know. Um, comes from Latin for alone and self. Right. Oh, hold on. I have to fix that. So assuming my child was being honest, does that indicate that it's really actually possible to go through the first 10 or more years of human life functioning as a solipsist? And that maybe you and I have our first 10 or more formative years functioning just like this, and that that is like a foundation on which the rest of our life was built, that we began for many years not really realizing that other people are people, and that we're maybe still recovering from that. Is that like... That's like a po that seems like a possibility to me. That seems like that could really actually be the way I was for the first 10 years and I haven't totally recovered. I don't know. Does that seem plausible to you? I don't know, James. I don't know if you look, you're making a funny face. Does that seem plausible to you or no? Yeah. Okay. You can criticize that if you want to. I think true. Okay. Okay. Um, so I say that to say that um, you know, our orientation toward our own self, our own comfort, our own pleasure is natural to us. Um, that you know, when, if, we, if we use the phrase the natural man to mean like how we are before we are regenerate, uh, I think that in fact that's all we can do in some sense. And that um, selflessness for the natural man is completely foreign and is, is necessarily a work of the spirit. Um, all right, how are we, how are we doing on time? Hmm, okay, kind of what I expected. All right, so maybe it's time to actually define selflessness by now. We're already three quarters of the way through the first day. We should actually define the term. So I'm going to start by actually saying what I'm not talking about. So I'll do this kind of quickly because I want to make sure that we finish on time or close to on time. So Selflessness is related to a lot of other things that we might think of, and so I want to just sort of clarify uh, what I'm talking about when I have the, put out the title for this class. So um, is selflessness the same thing as humility? Um, so my answer for all four of these things is no, but they're very tightly related. So how would you like to do it? Do you want, do you want me to just say what I think the relationships are? Do you want to? chime in and say like, oh, I think the difference between selflessness and humility is this, but I think what they have in common is this. Do you want to do it as a discussion or do you want me to just say what I had planned beforehand? I don't know how discussing oriented you are this morning. All right, well, let's try it. We'll, I'll ask you and you see if you don't want to participate, then I'll just talk. We, we can do it however you want. Um, how, what would you say selflessness has in common with or is different from humility? How are they related? How are they not related? Compare and contrast. It's like eighth grade English. So humility, if you humble yourself enough to let someone else go before you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in a way, it's, it's related. Yeah, yeah. We often speak like that. If, if I'm going to let someone else go before me, I need to humble myself to do that. Yeah, so there's a, certainly a connection there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Any other connections or differences? Say humility is having a proper understanding of yourself as you relate to God and others. So it, I don't know, I feel like it could be almost the same thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, so there are similarities there too, yeah. Um, there's, there's this C.S. Lewis quote that connects the two of them. He said, um, do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. So there's certainly a connection there between humility and selflessness. Um, I did think that um, humility can actually perversely come from self-oriented motives sometimes, though. Um, this is one of those situations where it makes you think, you know, when Paul says 
sin is utterly sinful. You know, it can, it can even take good things and, and twist them. Um, you know, for example, I might be acting humble because I'm afraid of standing out. So I don't want to draw attention to myself, whether I've done something good or bad. I might um, be acting humble because I've seen people act prideful and I know that they look like jerks and I don't want to look that way. So I act humble, even though that's really just a self-serving thing. Um, I want to be seen as virtuous, so I act humble. Um, but it's hard to imagine how you could get to selflessness from self-oriented motives. That seems a little bit like illogical. So I think there, is, there are some differences, but there are a lot of connections too. Um, maybe humility is like a prerequisite for selflessness. I don't know. But so there's a similar, but not exactly the same. Um, okay, how about connection between selflessness and love? What do you think is the same or different there? I like this. This is like half discussion, half me talking. That's good. It's working well. It says love that loves thyself. So you're supposed to be loving yourself first. But if you sacrifice and try to give love to other people without you know, uh, considering yourself first. So in that sense, you know, love is connection with other Yeah, yeah. And, the, and in fact, the, um, we're going to talk in a little bit well, if I can still fit it in today, we'll see how, how much I do at the time. But we will talk about the, the two great commandments that Jesus gave. And you know, love your neighbor as yourself is the second great commandment. So uh, that feels to me like it was related to what you just said. Yeah. What other connections to, between selflessness and love do you see? Are they the same thing or no? Yeah, go ahead. Well, love in itself is kind of neutral. It depends on what it's uh, aimed towards. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's my idol. So it's really I'm sort of self-serving by doing it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there are so there are a lot of ways in which love can be selfless, but not every way. Yeah. So again, very related, but not exactly the same thing. Okay. Um, how about oh yeah, I'm, I'm wait, I wanted to say one more thing about that. Um yeah, so love we usually think of as sort of feelings and actions that go together. Right? And um, in fact, uh, in first John three eighteen it says, uh, little children, that let our Love not be just words and talk, but true love, which shows itself in action. Right? So it's the, the idea that true love has actions that go with um, the feelings, the words, the talk. Um, um, whereas uh, I, I don't think we normally think of selflessness as a set of words and actions. Um, there will be words and actions that flow out of it, but um, yeah. Um, all right, how about um, the relationship between selflessness and forgiveness? That one may seem a little less like it belongs in this list, but what do you see in common there or different? How are they related? How are they not related? Right, so the yeah, so the not wanting to forgive often comes from a selfish motive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. It makes me think of the parable of the unforgiving servant, where uh, he's forgiven this huge debt, but he isn't able to forgive someone who owes him just a small amount. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And selfishness is kind of thinking that we have to provide for ourselves. And, um, when we realize that God provides for everything we need and forgives everything, and covers everything, we're able to be selfless because He is providing for us. Yeah, so there are those connections too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in fact, um, part of forgiveness is saying, I will accept the fact that you caused me pain and I'm not going to be able to 
equal that out in any way, and I'm just going to let that go. And yeah, and that's um, you know that's another person that has caused me pain. My response is that I'm going to give peace back in this relationship, and that's that's definitely not seeking to equal the balance, but yeah, just accepting the loss. Yeah, yeah, which is the opposite of comfort seeking. It's the opposite of yeah self promotion. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah 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 that's true yeah that's uh, that's a good we uh, we are amazing accountants and relationships that's uh, that's a good way to say it yeah 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 um so so uh, those are some good examples of the connection between selflessness and forgiveness um i will say that uh so i think that I would say that forgiveness is therefore maybe one of the best applications of selflessness. It's one of the best ways it plays out. Um, they're not the same thing, but they're very related in what we just said. Um, all right, so how about uh, if I'm seeking selflessness, does that mean the same thing as that I'm going to sort of let people have whatever they want, do whatever they want, and that therefore I would seem like I was a doormat and people can just do whatever they want? Um, I think that the way I've phrased it up there obviously means that I'm probably going to say no to this. Although certainly there are times when, like we just said, you say, I'm just going to accept the fact that that person caused me pain. I'm just going to forgive it and not exact any kind of payment back. Um, but how about, what are some situations in which being selfless requires um, being brave or being strong? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that, you know, when, when you forgive, you are going to say that, like, okay, I, that was legitimate pain you caused me, but, so I'm not, like, denying that, but that, um, yeah, probably because you know you have been forgiven, I know what forgiveness is like, and I know it's possible to not seek revenge. And so, yeah, so, I mean, it does have to, we cannot really forgive unless we have been forgiven. So it certainly does all connect back to our salvation, for sure. I don't, I don't know if that... trying to organize that it's a it is a complex connection of things um all right so how about are there yeah go ahead I mean, so part of being a doormat is is, uh, is avoiding so there's the there's the pain right when someone does something to you right um and then the, the tendency would be to avoid additional pain by having that difficult conversation mm-hmm mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, even just going through the, the process of repentance and forgiveness and, and, and naming what happened and dealing with it is, can be more painful. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I think there's also something about actually forgiving. <coughs> Yeah, so, there, so the, the, if I put these things together, you're kind of talking about the fact that going through the process of forgiveness involves engaging the person and, and not just letting things happen and being passive. Yeah, yeah. Good. Yeah. 
Right. So when you're advocating for another person or when you're advocating for just the, what you know are actual rights and wrongs, then you may need to be bold and or brave while you are still being selfless. Yeah. Yeah. Good. All right. So now we've talked about all these things that are kind of like selflessness, but not the same thing. I'll give you my working definition of the term for the purposes of this class. So I did not look this up. I just sort of wrote down what I meant by it in order for us to, for you to know what I'm thinking when I what we're going to talk about for the next six weeks, five weeks after this. Um, <clears throat> so an orientation toward others, both people and God, that prioritizes their good over my own, uh, not including my own personal benefit among the motives for my decision-making. So those are the ways I'm thinking of the word and how uh, I'm going to try to have the next few weeks be you know, pulling out what that means. Um, all right. I have two other things I want to talk about before we're done, but I don't think we're going to fit them in. I'm probably just going to talk about one of them instead. Um, but any comments before I jump into the last topic? So the last one is absence, um, but could it also be written into the form where you consciously sacrifice your personal benefit for the benefit of someone else? Yeah, so maybe... Um, yeah, so it says not including, and then, so is, does that mean like I just don't tend to do that, or does it mean I have intentionally, you know, I know that I'm going to bring about my own pain or difficulty in order for, yeah, so they, that, that's a good point. We should, it, the way it's phrased there, not including one's own personal benefit among the motives, um, makes it seem like it might be a forgetfulness, which could be a good thing, but still there's this aspect of like, oh, I might intentionally sacrifice that maybe is not highlighted there. Yeah, yeah, well, I, I, uh, I, I, I don't mind if we work together to make this definition uh, better week by week. That, that sounds good. Any other comments with it? Yeah, Rosemary. Uh, it makes me think of in decision making, kind of counting the cost before you pick up something. Mm -hmm. And so taking into account your own personal, how it impacts you is part of our decisions, but doesn't, I, don't, I wonder how that fits into the definition, like still taking that into account, maybe putting it aside, or sometimes uh, when you're thinking about how to serve other people, you do have to take it Yeah, no, that, that's a great point. I, I, I will say I'm probably, in the next five weeks, I'm probably not going to talk about that too much, even though it is really important. And the reason that I'm not going to focus, and just if, if you didn't hear, um, Rosemary was just talking about making sure that you don't think about yourself so little that you actually cause, you know, self-harm. Like, you don't, you know, like, get so excited about volunteering that you make yourself sick with all the commitments you've signed up for, you know. But um, I don't know if that's, that. I made that example up, she didn't say that. Um, um, I, my f feeling is that we're so far from that that I'm not so worried about that danger. I'm going to talk much more about the dangers of how stuck we already are in our self-orientation and kind of like push us towards that end of the spectrum you're talking about. And if we actually happen to go too far and accidentally like sign up for too many volunteer commitments and, and you know, lose sleep over it, then we can talk about coming back. But um, I suspect that we're far enough from that that I'm, I'm going to talk less about that danger than the dangers of the other side of the spectrum. So, um, okay. So since it is two minutes before the class ends, uh, I, this is actually a perfect place for us to get to because the only things that I had left for us to talk about are things that are important enough that I'm going to bring them up in multiple weeks. So it's fine if we don't get to talk about them this week. I'll just tell you what they were so you know what's coming in some future times. Um, one of them is what I mentioned earlier. Um, well, it's in, it's right here. In this passage, 
uh, where the Pharisees test Jesus and say, uh, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus says, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Um, I feel like we should just pause and like bask in that for a moment before I say anything because that's so awesome to read. But um, both of those things are uh, commands about orienting ourselves away from ourselves, one towards God and one towards others uh, in that order. So I, I want to talk about this on a few future weeks. It's going to be something we'll come back to a lot. Um, so I'm not going to talk about it now because I want to talk about it for like 10 minutes. And we don't have 10 minutes, but we'll talk about it later. And the other thing that I want to come back to is, um, so the title of the class is Selflessness, which is, I guess you could call it a virtue. And we don't actually talk about or encourage virtues too much here because um, you have to be careful when you do that. If when you talk about seeking to be virtuous or seeking to live a godly life or, or um, uh, your Christian duty or any of those things, it can easily get put together with the tendency that's in all of our hearts to earn our own righteousness to form a person that has been encouraged by the church to earn their own righteousness. So I want to be careful that we make sure that we bring the gospel in a few different times and say, how is it that we can talk about pursuing a virtue and yet not have that problem happen to us? Because that's a, a, a key, uh, an important danger whenever we talk about you know, trying to live a godly life. Um, so <laughs> it's a crucial danger for us to discuss, and we don't have time today to discuss it. But <laughs> Um, but we will discuss it on more than one future day. So, um, All right, please join me in prayer as we get ready to go next door. Father, I thank you so much for the chance that you give us to think about uh, how we stand before you and how desperate we are for you. I thank you that you do call us out of your, ourselves. I thank you that you have sent your spirit and that even when we look at the sins that are so deep inside that we don't know where to begin dealing with them, um, you have put your spirit that deep inside as well and have promised to renew us from the inside out. You have even promised that one day when we see Jesus, we will be made like him. And we cannot wait for that. Uh, we are amazed that you can affect such a radical change in people that have as many problems as we have. And we praise you for that. And I pray that the worship service next door um, would bring you glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you. I'll see you next week.